raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with your hosts John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Here we focus on helping men and those with men in their lives solve some of life's complex challenges through understanding the practices of mindfulness and how they can help. Each episode is in an environment free of judgment and criticism with a focus on authenticity and inner peace. Let's dig in. How many times does a coach tell an athlete to pay attention? Hundreds, maybe thousands of times. But how many times have they been taught how to pay attention? That's a quote from today's guest, Chad McGee. He's the director of meditation training at the University of Wisconsin and founder of Inner Edge Meditation. Uh, Chad will help us understand today how meditation is enhancing athletic performance. But more on Chad in a moment. And I just want to say welcome to back to Men Talking Mindfulness. We're so happy you're joining us today. Each week, my co-host, John McCaskill over there in Colorado Springs, and I break down and demystify an aspect of mindfulness and make it meaningful to you. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we have some exciting announcements first. So, John, it's great to see you. It's great to be back on the air with you. How are things? Oh, man, they're great. Uh, it's It's been a wild few weeks and looking forward to this next season. Great to be back here with you and excited to get in this conversation about how meditation can enhance athletic performance, which, you know, at first glance may not be super intuitive to, to kind of make that leap, but excited to get into that. That said, we do have, like you said, some great announcements to make. The first one being that we're going to actually do our first retreat. Uh, so Movement RX founder, Dr. Teresa Larson, who's been a, a guest on our show a few times, we're going to be teaming up with her and Movement RX to run this Men Talking Mindfulness Movement RX um, retreat in in Den or sorry Durango, Colorado. So we're going to escape the chaos of life and enjoy a long weekend in scenic Durango, Colorado. It's a beautiful spot out there. We are tired of all the noise that life throws us us throws at us. So we designed this mindfulness retreat so you can start to rewrite your story and cultivate the joy you've been missing. Over these four days, you will learn what you are capable of as we explore through our community experience, various methods of mindfulness, movement, and just plain old fun. So the retreat is September 16th through the 19th. That's a Friday through Monday. And by Monday, you'll leave the ranch feeling renewed, invigorated, and equipped with new tools to tackle life's challenges head on. And it gets better. After this incredibly insightful four days, we won't leave you stranded with all this enthusiasm and new knowledge to keep your mindful flowing and growing included in this retreat is a four-week post-retreat integration program where we'll all meet virtually for the following four weeks and double down on the tools you've learned and work to weave these practices and insights into your daily life so if you're ready to join us in person for an in-person retreat in beautiful durango at the colorado colorado trails uh ranch Sign up and learn more, and we'll put the link in the comments, but it's mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash retreat. We only have 17 spots for this retreat, so if you snooze, you might miss out. So we definitely want to see you in person. That said, here's another thing. we got another announcement. We've opened up the MTM merch store once again. So this sale starts today, July 8th, and ends July 29th. So head to mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash merch to order your favorite MTM merch today. This sale includes the trucker hats that we've had in the past, the soft cotton t-shirts that we've had in the past. Here's the new stuff, the tank top and a special edition super MTM t-shirt with the original Superman color scheme and the MTM logo. Again, the sale ends July 29th. So head to mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash merch and order yours today. All right. Wow. That was a lot of announcements. So let's bring our guest on. Here we go. All right. So our guest is Chad McGee. Chad McGee is a meditation teacher, scientific collaborator, and trusted coach working at the intersection of elite performance and meditation. At the University of Wisconsin in, athletic in the athletic department, Chad became the first ever 
director of meditation, which is awesome. Director of meditation training in major college sports. Chad is an honorary affiliate of the Center for Healthy Minds at UW-Madison, a member of Under Armour's Internal Human Performance Council and co-founder of Inner Edge Meditation. Chad focuses on using meditation training for performance and well-being. Through his trainings, talks, and consulting, he supports individuals, teams, and organizations. Chad works closely with top performers across sport, law enforcement, education, and scientific research. His work is widely published in popular press and scientific journals. His work has been integrated into a range of environments, including K-12 education, which I absolutely love seeing that, FBI SWAT teams, Fortune 500 companies, and elite high school and college athletics. He is passionate about bringing rigorous and accessible meditation training to life as strength and conditioning for the mind. All right. Welcome, Chad. Awesome to have you here, brother. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Love having uh, this opportunity to talk to you and uh, everything you've done, you know, in your careers thus far and looking forward to the conversation. For sure. For sure. And uh, Will, as I was telling Chad before we hit record, the way we do this, if you're listening in for the first time, if you're part of the audience and you're listening in for the first time, we kick the show off with an opening practice and we close the show off, close the show up, I guess, with a closing practice. And Will is going to open it up with our first closing practice. First closing, our first open practice. <laughs> I am all over the place today. I need yes. grounding, man. You need some meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Hey, and why, why, why do we do this? Well, we do this really simple practice just to see how quickly and easily it is to hit refresh, get a little calm, relax, be, have an open mind, calm down from stress and anxiety. Uh, we're just going to come back and once again and do some simple breathing. So uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, uh, you can do this with your eyes open driving or you want to sit down and close your eyes. That's awesome. Uh, we'll just uh, ground your feet on the floor. Take a little moment. Ground yourself. We'll start a little exhale out the mouth uh, and help on those exhales to help release that stress out. Imagine it kind of leaving your body and dropping deeper into your feet or into your sit bones or both. And let's take a big, giant inhale through the nose. And exhale out the mouth. Yeah, good. Big inhale. Try to fill the big balloon in your torso and from the bottom, the middle, all the way to the top of the chest. Feel that lift. Take one more. Yeah, one more step of air through the nose. And exhale out. Let's do a few more. This is called a double tap breath, right? So we're going to take a big inhale. Pull it in, pull it in, pull it in. Pause at the top for a moment. Take another sniff of air through the nose and exhale out the mouth. Let it go. Ah, nice, everybody. Let's do three more. Big balloon breath in. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Take that pause. Take that another sniff of air. And let it go out. Calm, relaxed, easy, chill out kind of exhale. Last two in. Hold, another sniff, let it go out. Nice, gentlemen and everybody, one more time. In, big breath, keep going, inhale, pause, another inhale, top it off, exhale, let it go. And just take a moment and, you know, what brought you here today? You know, do you feel a little more peaceful? Are you a little more present? And when you're ready, maybe take some of those micro movements that we learned from Dr. Cohen. All right. Oh, get some more energy back in your body and open the eyes if they were closed. And uh, we are back with Chad McGee. Chad, we, I'm so excited to talk to you. I was very, very, um, you know, we talked, we had a little pre, um, you know, show call with you. Like, my God, it felt like months ago. Uh, and we were really excited then. But then I kind of start digging into you and see what you're doing out there. And I saw you like being mentioned on or, yeah, uh, on, on on ESPN, which I've been watching ESPN since like, my God, I've been, I don't know, 17 or something like that when it first came out. Uh, and, and then I was really dug into your inner inner edge mindfulness program, which has really been helping a lot of people as well. So, um, you know, thanks for being here, Chad. Absolutely. Huge honor, man. Looking forward to it. 
Um, well, so, so tell us, uh, so how'd you get into this work? Like, uh, you know, what, was there a big revelation where you're like super depressed and kind of dropped into meditation and started teaching it? Like, you know, what is your story to, that brought you here today or, and, and how'd you get into this work? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, there's so many different ways to answer that question, right? I'll try to keep it like as tight as possible, but I think like many, many people who end up in the role of teaching meditation, my doorway in was suffering. Uh, and 17 years old, a whole bunch of suffering showed up in my life. And I remember being in my parents' backyard and feeling like I had a choice, that I could run from it, I could hide from it, uh, or I could find a way to go through it. Uh, and there was something in me that quivered that kind of propelled me to go through it. And I had no fucking idea how to do that. Um, and so that's a man of path, you know, like, how do I actually kind of navigate this? And so it was really when I encountered mindfulness and meditation uh, that I felt like I had kind of like the moment to moment and the framework to be able to handle that suffering. And then long after that suffering changed, these practices were just a huge support for me as Chad, as a guy living his life. Uh, and I just figured I'd just continue to practice, go on retreat, you know, do my daily practice. And I just, you know, live out a life that was, you know, happier and more balanced. And my first career was as a public school teacher. And I felt like I was sitting on a gold mine with this stuff. This was before yeah. there were many good resources in mindfulness and education. So I just started to make it up and just see what would happen with the kids in my reading group, my colleagues after school, and they were benefiting. So that kind of started the kind of the second part of my journey, which was how do you skillfully teach these practices? Uh, and so that took me a lot of different directions, including I had an opportunity to join a group on campus at UW-Madison called the Center for Healthy Minds that John mentioned in the intro, it's a research group. So I spent six years kind of collaborating with neuroscientists, investigating the impacts of this sort of training uh, and got to train with a huge range of populations, some still with kids and teachers. That's when I got involved with uh, research in law enforcement, corporate groups, healthcare, and then athletes. Uh, and then the work with athletes, kind of one thing led to another and some unique opportunities along the way that ultimately landed in this uh, position, this first of its kind of position of director of meditation training. Was so it hard you, to, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah. How do you take what, what you learned and you show up at UW and you're like, hey, uh, I want to bring meditation to your athletes. How do you sell that to <laughs> the administration of the college, of the university? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And, you know, my, my intention was never to bring it into Wisconsin athletics. I had no intention of selling this to anybody. In fact, what, what had happened is there was a guy who had played football at the University of Wisconsin um, and played football in the NFL. Chris Borland is his name. And after Chris retired from the NFL, he wanted to do something to benefit other guys who had played the game. So he connected with us at the Center for Healthy Minds. Long story short, Chris and I created an eight-week pilot for a group of retired NFL guys. Uh, and at that point, I, it hadn't been done as far as I know. And it was really a question of like, you know, what's going to happen when we get these 17 retired NFL guys in a room and try to teach them to meditate? Will they think it's a bunch of hippy dippy woo woo? Like, you know, <laughs> right. You know, John? I, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, the environment. Right. You know, and, and one of the things that's really important to me is. Uh, I'm not interested in kind of corrupting these practices to make them something that they're not, to mm. make it easier than it actually is. The practice is what it is. The path is what it is. How we teach it can meet people where they're at, and that's where skillful teaching comes into question. So after we did that eight-week pilot with these retired NFL guys, um, some of them were on staff at the University of Wisconsin. One was head strength coach for football. Uh, one was connected with the strength coach for basketball, some administrative folks. And they were the ones that said, hey, we think our student athletes could benefit from this. Would you be interested in coming in and sharing some of it? Another way to say that, and that's in more like meditation language, is that's compassion. They mm. experienced the benefits of practice. Their suffering was reduced. Their well-being was increased. And they wanted to share that with other people. So then we started to pilot in small ways with a couple of teams where there's some internal champions. They benefited. And then the work kind of grew over a couple of years uh, that way. Nice. I think I think that's been the path for for all of us in some ways, because I know I mean, John, like I mean, we, we you hold you told your story like numerous times about, you know, how you laughed in your instructor's face when he talked about meditation and mindfulness as a cure yep. for the problems you were having. You know, like I, I've been in the same boat. Like, I mean, I, I, I just finished a, a massive Vipassana meditation retreat and, and in the retreat, I'm like, I need to go teach more meditation in New York City. 
Like it's just mm-hmm. like you just naturally want to because of the the health um, uh, that it brings to the body and the mind and all your relationships. You know, you just you just want to create more of that in the world. I feel, and then to bring it to athletes, I, I think is absolutely uh, you know is crucial. Like how is it? So how is it different? Uh, you know, teaching meditation to athletes, or, or how do you? Or, yeah, is there is there a different method you teach, or is it onboarding them that's really required? Like, what are kind of struggles uh, to really get the buy-in from athletes, if you will? And then, how, what's the process you take them through? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a huge question. You know, that like, there's so many cool ways. I think like that. You know, to answer that question. But one is really kind of like, how is this framed for athletes? How does this kind of like make sense to them? So the way I talk about the work, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, is strength and conditioning for the mind. Uh, and of course, yeah. no athlete would ever go out into their you know arena of competition without training their body, yet they do it all the time with the mind. All you know, we time. end up in mental training paradox where, you know, in sport and in life, we talk about the importance of the mental game, yet we're not actually setting aside time to train for it. So we're kind of flipping that. We're actually setting aside time to train for it. And then so kind of like next level down from there, I remember one of the first times I walked into the Wisconsin football weight room, I go up to one of the coaches, one of the strength coaches, and he looks like one of these Under Armour mannequins, like come to life, you know, like, <laughs> I, I didn't know humans had shoulders that big, right? And so I say, you know, hey, hey, coach, you know, like, what do you do around here? And he's, you know, like, my job is just to get guys bigger, faster, stronger. And of course, I've seen that we've all seen that, like, in every weight room everywhere, some version of that. And I thought, like, well, what's the corollary to what I'm up to? And it occurred to me that what I'm interested in is training folks to have minds that are more focused, more resilient and be better teammates and not just talk about it, but actually train for it. And there's good science in all of those areas and good trainings in all of those areas that can show up to impact these athletes, both in the performance realm, but also in the well-being realm. And also those, of course, are just kind of not two different things. It's one mind that's involved in, in all aspects of it. Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask was like, like obviously, what we want to talk about today, specifically anyway, is, is how the meditation enhances the athletic performance. But what other benefits have the athletes reported to you? Once they start practicing for, you know, the, the performance enhancing side, what, what else do they get? Sure. I mean, as, as you all, as you know, you know, but like the amazing thing about meditation, you know, the way I think about meditation, right, it's just training the mind and the mind's always with us. So whether the motivation initially is to train the mind for a performance orientation, the mind is still with you for, you know, for these 18 to 22 year olds when they're in class, when they're hanging out with their friends, when they're with their family. So the benefits can show up across all of these areas. So recently I had an interaction with one of the football players who came up to me in the weight room, um, right at me, kind of grabbed me by the shoulders, uh, square in the eyes and is like, hey man, ever since we started doing this, the anxiety that I've struggled with my entire life, I finally have a tool to work with it. And then wow. he grabbed my hand, shook it, turned around and walked away. Uh, wow. So just like profound tools, right? To navigate their life. And one of the things that I love, absolutely love about what we're doing here is that this is just embedded training into their overall training. Like they don't have to go search it out. They don't have to like kind of demystifies it. The strength coaches, the sport coaches are giving me time to come in. So this is just a normal part of training. Uh, And so then those benefits can show up wherever they need to for these guys. Right. And that's the way the practice works. Right. Like practice kind of goes where it needs to go for each individual the we just give them the tools and the ways to navigate it and then folks have to figure out kind of exactly how it's going to show up in their individual life nice you mentioned uh well i have two questions one from like i would love to know uh and how long you've been doing how long have you been implemented this in uh at the university of wisconsin it's two years i think you said Right. So, yeah. So the, I've been in the position full time for two years and probably like two or three years of consulting uh, before that. And you I think well, I, I, in our poster, you had, you're holding a giant NCAA trophy for the volleyball team. Right. And yeah. they, they just won their first national championship in 2019. Was it or something? I think La- yeah. last season, 2020, last season. 2021 and and uh and all you know i I know you have the football uh you know team that you're working with are you working with all of the athletic programs at the university of wisconsin is that uh Uh, so in some capacity yes and no so like you know this is this is an optional training i think it's a really bad idea to make people meditate uh i think it's a really good idea to expose people to what meditation is uh 
Uh, mm. So, you know, in a college athletic environment, you know, Wisconsin, we've got, you know, these 23 teams and these head coaches, you know, have a lot of jurisdiction on what happens in their training environment. So, you know, kind of little by little, we continue to add more teams as, you know, word gets around, as benefits are there, as kind of some of the scientific yeah. evidence is there. Uh, but it kind of just allowing it, just like a personal mindfulness and meditation practice, it kind of has to progress on its own in its due time. Kind of forcing it to develop is a recipe for disaster. And, and the from the enhancement standpoint, like so, how does it? Uh, what are the what are the results that you've seen from your meditation program? Because you mentioned better teammates, and then also, uh, what are the results you're seeing or hearing uh, from the athletes as far as their actual performance, like? in competition? Sure. Uh, so th there's a lot of them, but just kind of a couple off the bat. So like, yeah. I would imagine, you know, most folks like listening to this, you know, probably experienced a little bit of mindfulness, even if it was just like what you led to kind of kick us off today. And a really common response after people practice is they feel a little bit, you know, more calm or a little bit more relaxed. And so that's a really common response. And that's a really good thing. You know, that can do a whole lot of benefit for folks. But what do we call calm and relaxed in a high intensity environment? We call it poise. Hmm. And we really celebrate it in these high performance environments, whether it's sport, you know, like, you know, special forces sorts of units, right? Corporate groups. Um, yet it seems like an elusive quality that some people have or some people don't have. But of course, with meditation training, we can actually train for it. So we start in kind of low intensity environments then bring it into moderately tense environments like training situations so that ultimately it starts to show up in the highest intensity of environments. So you mentioned the volleyball team last year. So this is a train team that's been doing this training now for, you know, three or four years, kind of very embedded into how they roll as a program. Uh, I get on the road with them. We have, you know, part of their conditioning blocks include meditation every week. And this past season in the national championship match, it was the fifth set. And they thought they had won the championship point. And then the call comes in that they had to review the call. They overturned the call. BS call, by the way. Oh, shit. But they had to reset and retake the floor, and they won it again. And in that midst, in that time, in those two minutes, these women talked about how they used these very practices in those moments to reset, get present. In the words of George Mumford, get back into the eye of the hurricane. Because they're elite, you know, elitely prepared to handle that moment. They just then have the tools to be able to get after it. So I think those are kind of some of the ways that it's, we've started to see it show up in, in some of the environments around here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's as far as college athletics, that's about as intense as it gets, right? The right there, calls reversed, and now you got to reset after you've just celebrated, and then you get upset. <laughs> now now you're on the other end of that spectrum. Now you're pissed, and now you got to mm -hmm. reset. That's that's pretty intense. Well, that's the thing that I love about it, right? It's kind of like old sports psychology was you need to have like the right thoughts and like the right emotions in order to perform well. And mindfulness and meditation takes an extremely different approach and says whatever's happening in your experience is okay. The yeah. question is, do you have the skills to work with it? So like there you go from like you're saying, you know, John, like extreme elation to like extreme anger. Like those are totally normal responses in that moment. But do yeah. you kind of right in the words of John Kabat-Zinn, do you have the skills to surf those waves as they're coming in? This team did have those skills and then they were able to, you know, get after it and win that first national championship in program history. Nice. Yeah. It reminds me of, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this is like great, great. You know, I, I like you way you keep putting it. It's like that mental training, mental training, mental training. And it's like and the, and the, and the, the mind drives the body. You know, it puts you in the arena. It actually puts you in you know, to your body, if, if you do practice in a very holistic way that you really become fully alive and fully active and fully aware, you know, how important it is to be, have that little moment, that little extra awareness when you're at the, the highest level of competition. I mean, it just gives you that, that, that edge, that inner edge, like the name of your company, Inner Edge Meditation. Absolutely. Like, it's just these like small little things that, you know, elite performers are all looking for those fractional advantages that can kind of add up over time. Uh, and this sort of training, whether it's training the mind to be a little more focused, you know, a little bit more resilient, a little more connected to, you know, emb embodied purpose or finding a, a way to relate to others on your team that you maybe don't have to love them all, but you have to find a way to kind of like see kind of the mission you're going after and and kind of stay that course. Those are all things that are happening in the mind. And there's all very clear ways that we can train to stabilize those qualities.
Mm. So what, what have been some of the struggles that you've had in, again, presenting what in Western society has been kind of seen as soft, uh, weird, <laughs> hippie, woo-woo. Um, like, what are, what are the struggles in presenting that to a bunch of athletes, uh, which, you know, typically type A, somewhat masculine, the culture anyway. Um, what are the challenges for you? Yeah, I think those are our challenges that you're all describing, but there are also a lot of opportunities in there mm, to just kind of like that. folks where they're at. Um, and I think that's one of the things we were talking a little bit in our previous conversation, you know, kind of, and we know from lots of other research that like what drives change in things like education, what drives change in things like, you know, counseling is how the relationship is between the provider and the person kind of like doing the training with mm -hmm. them. Yeah, I think having somebody in the front of the room who's a viable provider to them, right? Somebody who's, you know, just like somebody who they feel like they can hang out with. I was a college athlete, you know, like I've, you know, not at this level, but had some of these experiences. And then, you know, being embedded in a, in a neuroscience group for six years, you know, they can all their skepticism. I love because it's going to show whether or not there's something here to stand on or something not to stand on. So mm. I think those like cultural factors um, are in fact opportunities for them to kind of, you know, get after this training in, in, in better ways. So I think some of the ways we've avoided, avoided some of the pitfalls of that are one, um, we have really strong internal champions. So like when the first time I got in front of the football team here, the head strength coach who played in the NFL, you know, for seven or eight years, deeply respected guy on the staff, he had gone through this training himself and he said, uh. this stuff matters guys this stuff is yeah. really helpful and so that keeps them open right and then we start doing it with the team you know whether it was with football you know or volleyball or basketball and then some of these athletes start to benefit and one of the patterns i see emerge oftentimes is some of the top performing athletes tend to experience the benefits sooner i think there's probably a bunch of reasons why that is but then when they experience the benefits well then they're kind of cultural drivers you know in yeah. that situation for example you know, around here, one of the football players early on, Jonathan Taylor, a great football player here, now in the NFL, like just having an incredible, you know, couple, first couple of years in the NFL. After we finished one of the, the first practices, and it was a body scan practice, he said the way that he felt after that practice, that sense of relaxed alert that he felt is the same way that he feels when he's at his best pre-snap. He knows his responsibility. <laughs> he's not overthinking it. He can just be in the moment and then be responsive to whatever happens, right? And so to, for a guy like that to say that in front of the room, then all of a sudden it shifts for so many guys in the room. And then they go from being like, wait, what is this stuff? To being like, I want to experience what he's experiencing. Sure. Nice. It, it, inspiring to be that elite athlete or just like, you know, it's, it's amazing how there is a, like a, a group buy-in, you know, and, and it's like, you know, we're the, we're the weirdos, you know, they're out there trying to teach the people to meditate, you know, and, and, and that's why we have the show. I mean, it, it is mindfulness, but like a, a big, you know, foundation of mindfulness is just sitting, getting still and, and meditating and really getting into the non-doing, right? We do so much, mm -hmm. do so much, but uh, you know, I'm finding myself saying, it's like, well, if you want to be better at doing things and what, how good are you at not doing anything? for a little bit of time and just being with your breath and being with the way things are and trying to drop into the middle and just, and just be aware, just be simple, you know, equanimous awareness. Um, and if Which, we're like, I mean, just, yeah, just, just yeah, like please. there, just to like build off of that, right? Like, yeah, please. you know, like something like equanimous awareness, right? You know, like that is, you know, athletes have, have ex like athletes have experienced that all the time. We've all experienced that all the time. And for an athlete, they may refer to it as something like when they're being, when they're playing their sport as being in the zone, being in flow, right? Like right. there's yeah. that yeah. Like 100%. unperturbed depth that they are experiencing, right? Like, because mm. mm. I'm sure I would imagine we agree on this point, like equanimity is an inherent human quality. It is there all the time. All the mm -hmm. practice does is allow us to tap into it, to train, mm -hmm. to experience it more often. So these athletes oftentimes have already experienced it, but for them, it seems random. Like it's great yeah. when it's there bummer when it's not. So what we're doing is setting the conditions to experience it more often. We can't make it happen, but in the same way that you can kind of set the conditions for strength to be gained, you can set the conditions for more equanimity to come up yeah. or set the 
or more flow or being in the moment or being in the zone to come up. And then when th that makes sense to them. And then when they get in there and actually do practice, they actually do the training. We kind of go through these training blocks and they start to see it show up in their lives. Uh, then it's no longer, there's no convincing that's happening. They've already tasted the fruit of the practice, the benefits of the practice. And that's what keeps them kind of coming back and wanting to do more. You know, I feel like, uh, um, to come back to what you like the quote that I used earlier, like they're told all the time, focus, 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 but never really taught how to train or to focus, you know, how, the how, right. Um, and they train, uh, Jonathan Taylor. So I watched that, that ESP, the clip on your, you know, on your website mm -hmm. about him and him talking about his experience of meditation. And, you know, he goes into, you know, and, and all these athletes, uh, you know, they train, they train, I mean, you know, uh, and, and they work and they work and they work and get bigger and bigger and have all these like physical skills. But I feel like meditation is almost like a pot, right, of, of wonderful, rich soil that allows them to plant all the roots of all their training into. Because, like, again, it's like, you know, uh, um, what Goenka, my teacher for Vipassana, he says, mind matters most. Mind matters most. And if you are not conditioning your mind in order to really become fully alive and fully activated from the inside out, um, then, you know, I think you're... You, know, you're, you're missing a lot of, of your full human potential. Uh, and I think we're going to see, and we're, you know, oh my God, this is meditation. You know, I think it was the, the Seahawks, like, didn't they, in, in the, when they won the Super Bowl back to back or something like that, or, or they, they, Pete Carroll was a big, you know, yoga meditation person with his crew. You know, I, I think uh, a lot of, um, and a lot of professional teams are bringing, you know, these practices, uh, I mean, yoga is definitely a part of, it's kind of like a meditation and movement. It's really a great way to prep the body. But again, just get into that non-doing and sitting really helps to, you know, really activate the body from the inside out. And I feel like does give that edge. I mean, I, I feel it in, in just the way in, in my teaching, I'm not like an athlete anymore, but uh, it, it just, I just feel more confident. There's something about mm -hmm. it that that just gives you that that inner advantage, that that inner edge. Like, and I keep coming back to that word, that that, that name, because it really makes a big difference. It really, it's a, uh, you know, it's not about the speed uh, of your body necessarily all the time, but like how relaxed and calm is your mind, you know, which really makes that 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 lights you up. Yeah, I mean, w without a doubt. I mean, I think um, just kind of build off that for a second. So, like, if we, you know, we we do whatever practice we do, right? And we take, you know, five minutes or ten minutes or wherever it is, and and we kind of shift from that, like, you know, human doing to human being sort of thing. Um, in that time, we what starts to happen for all of us when we begin to meditate is all the habitual parts of our mind continue, and we just get to see it, right? We get to observe it. And normally it's happening outside of awareness and it's just driving behavior, like you're saying. But in, a, in these sorts of contemplative practices, we get to see that process unfold and we get to develop that non-reactive space to seeing it. So for athletes, one of the ways that this can come up, right, is any elite athlete is going to experience doubt. It is just part of the path, right? If you're kind of not experiencing doubt, like you're not kind of reaching those upper echelons, right? But doubt is just like an emotional mental pattern that comes up. And if you've sat and you've watched how doubt works and you've got ways to unhook from that, to get present with what's actually happening, then when doubt arises again in those intensity of those moments, no problem. You've already developed skills to be able to work with it in the same way that you spend all the time, you know, doing certain athletic things so that in those intense moments, no problem what happens. You have the skills to work with it. So meditation I see is kind of no different from that, yet it gives us a way to train things that for many folks don't seem trainable. They just seem kind of like either you got it or you don't. Uh, right. And meditation, of course, takes a different approach to the mind. What, what is the, what's the science? I know, I know we've spoken about the science on, on past episodes, Will, mm -hmm. but for listeners who may not have tuned into past episodes, physiologically, for your athletes, when they are sitting down and they meditate for the first time versus how they are wired when they meditate, hmm. you know, eight weeks, 10 weeks later, what's happening there? Sure. Um, so, so one, just kind of at like a very kind of like level one stage, you know, we as humans have, you know, what scientifically is referred to as neuroplasticity, that our brains are constantly being trained. 
but neuroplasticity is kind of inherently neutral. It's just happening. Uh, the question is kind of who's in charge of that process. Is it you know swirling winds of circumstance that are kind of training for certain qualities, <laughs> or are we choosing to train for certain qualities like stability, you know, equanimity, like focus, concentration, like open monitoring, kind of perspective. Like we can train for those qualities. So, but when we start to train for it, it's, you know, the strength and conditioning for the mind. So it kind of rests on neuroplasticity. From there, you know, there's really good scientific evidence that this sort of training can impact folks in a whole host of beneficial ways, you know, on the physical side, kind of the emotional side, mentally. And of course, all of these are linked up. Uh, specifically for mindfulness and meditation in sport, we are very, very early days in what we know scientifically. Uh, so there's some evidence that these sorts of practices can affect things like focus, you know, affect things like resilience. Uh, but we're still, you know, figuring a lot of this out. So that's one of the reasons, you know, around here, I think it's so important that part of the work that we're doing is integrated with scientific collaborators so that we can continue to add to the empirical evidence of what we know scientifically, especially uh, at these more kind of intense levels of sport. A bunch of the research that's happened in sport environments before hasn't happened at quite these competitive levels. So sure. uh, early days, but there's good reason to be hopeful. Yeah. It's nice to be in the game so early, like all of us, right? It just feels great to be able to, uh, you know, I mean, to, I mean, I think our job, a part of our job as teachers is also be a salesman. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, I mean, with the show with John, you know, John and I, and I'm sure like Chad, I mean, you, you're going into these companies and, you know, and, and like, and, and sometimes you meet that resistance and, hmm. uh, but it's like, but, and I love that there's more science and more empirical evidence and, you know, uh, continually being, you know, researched and, and published about how incredibly powerful this is. And, and uh, it's just a, a little slow for the West to get involved with this, where the East has been doing this for, for thousands, thousands of years. Um, you know, in your experience, like what, like what makes a good meditation teacher, you know, or, or, or you know, if, if you would, or how does that look like, what does that look like for you and your, in, in your experience as well as a teacher and as a practitioner? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So, I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, I remember early days when I was first kind of teaching mindfulness and, and meditation, I got to collaborate with a woman named Catherine Bonus, who is one of the most skilled, wise teachers I've ever worked with, kind of a contemporary of John Kabat-Zinn. And I remember talking with Catherine after we had finished doing some teaching together and I was kind of describing kind of what I was kind of doing in the class, like what was happening for me internally. And she said, that seems like a lot of effort. Uh, and she said, maybe explore just being what you're teaching. And that shifted things for me tremendously, that the qualities that we are trying to share with others, we have to embody ourselves. Or in the words of Chris McKenna from Mindful Schools, the intervention is the teacher's nervous system. And so that person, whoever that teacher is, taking that time to train for these qualities in an ongoing way is absolutely fundamental. Like I just, there's, there's no way anybody can, can teach meditation after doing a weekend workshop. Like they're, they're not teaching meditation, they're teaching something else, you know, maybe teaching a breath practice to self-regulate, which is great. Like that's a good thing, but that's not training the mind. Uh, it's something very, very different. So I think the teacher's personal practice is the biggest driver of change. Once that's there, then we can start to look at kind of skillful methods and frameworks and, you know, curriculum choices. But without the personal yeah. practice, um, you know, we're not going to be doing much. Yeah, yeah it annoys me a little bit when I see like. And... Go, Go ahead, ahead Will. <laughs> no, it annoys me a little bit out there in the, in the public, like when I see like, oh, yeah, become a meditation. Here's your meditation certificate or become like a mindful. And here's a certificate like four weeks. You're, you're an excellent teacher. I'm like, I was like, I, I'm not good. I don't trust anybody. Yeah, it's really you're, it's so it's so true. Like, are you really embodying these practices? And, and, and living uh, the practice on a daily basis. And, and, and you could really just fall into teaching if that's what you want to do. Hmm. I mean, it really, because it does, I love, it comes from that, that effortlessness. Uh, and part of that effortlessness is, is getting, there's just, I feel like uh, meditation and, and these practices help to just get us deeper into 
our DNA, if you will, that's just loaded with incredible wisdom. But we have mm -hmm. to get still and get quiet and take time every day to begin to access that wisdom. And, and then it just starts. And once you really get in there and really trust it and really gain confidence from it and live that confidence, it just starts to, boom, can really just flow out of you in such a beautiful way. Yeah, I mean, even like at like a very kind of logistical level, I know when I was first starting to share these practices with anybody, you know, with like kids, you know, in my reading group or some colleagues, you know, I was like scripting out my guided meditation. Uh, and then, of course, like things like shift over time. Some of it's just comfort and experience. But then as my practice also deepened, you know, what I'm doing when I'm leading a guided meditation, yes, I'm thoughtful about the audience and kind of like how to structure it to them. But I'm just describing what's happening internally. Uh, and so then I'm practicing with them as I'm leading the practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think for folks who are kind of new to practice, that's just not possible early days. Uh, so we need to kind of continue to support those folks to deepen their own personal practice. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, like the audience, if you don't have that personal practice, it becomes apparent pretty quickly, right? Okay. Yeah. You went to a weekend to learn how to be a meditation teacher. You learned some basic breathing exercises and that's what you're running us through. But just in the way that they carry themselves in the way that they talk about their lives every day. I mean, we talk about being compassionate. We talk about equanimity. Not only do we talk about it, but we actually live it, right? Hmm. And you can see that. You can see that in a person. And I mm. think that that lends to the authenticity of the teacher if they have a, a deep practice through themselves. They can't just practice you know, two or three times a week when they're talking to somebody about it. Hmm. Will and I don't only practice the opening and closing practice of the show, right? We, we actually do have our own practice. It's all bullshit. Everything, everything we do here is just not, not at all. But, but you can see that. Uh, just, like, just like if we were going and coaching the athletic side of football, we would have to have our own strength and training, our own uh, flexibility and mobility training. We'd have to have our own um, practice, literally. So that's why, I mean, you, you can't do that uh, and, and you can't be that teacher if you're, if you're not a practitioner yourself. Totally. You would never trust us, trust a strength coach who never got in the squat rack. Why would you trust a meditation right. teacher who never gets on the cushion? Yeah. 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 So, well, um, what, so, what yeah, if, um, yeah, so one, we talked about, you know, the teacher. Now you are that teacher. How do you introduce it to the athletes? What's like the beginning practice that you do with them? I remember when I was, uh, you know, learning meditation, it, it became suddenly apparent to me that I had done some of this stuff in the past, mm -hmm. but it wasn't called meditation, right? Box mm -hmm. breathing. We do, we do box breathing on the mm -hmm. shooting range to get our heart rate down, to get our respiratory rate down and to calm us down. But I never really thought much about it. And now there's, mm -hmm. you know, the science that has shown me uh, why we do that. And now I see that it is tied to mindfulness and meditation or it can be. What are the initial practices that you teach and how do you grow it from that initial practice? Sure. Yeah, I think you make a really good point, John, that like these qualities, many times folks have found other ways to train and experience and they just called it something else or they just kind of stumbled upon it. So I think it's really important that anyone doing this work doesn't come in thinking they have the answers. They may have a framework that's helpful, but this is an inherent, you know, human wisdom that is there. So respecting that and the folks that, you know, we have the good fortune to train with. Uh, so one of the ways that I show up in like, you know, I think about this work really from like a skills based approach. Uh, and the first skill that I think is kind of foundational uh, in the work that I do, and I think it's just really grounded in the science and it's grounded in kind of thousands of years of contemplative traditions is training the skill of attention and having your attention be where you want it to be. And there's that famous Killingsworth study from Harvard where they send people text messages, you know, first text messages, what are you doing? Second text messages, what are you paying attention to? And they found that people are paying attention to what they're doing 47% of the time. Yeah. So half the time, right? Like people aren't paying attention to what they're doing. So 
Uh, and the science is also really clear that we can shift that number up, right? You know, if it's 47, we get it to 52, 53, 55. And of course, these athletes know what that feels like. They know what it feels like to be sitting in film, uh, trying to review what's happening, and then their mind wanders off to something that's coming later or coming earlier. Or to be, you know, if, just to use a different sport, for example, you know, to be on the seventh tee and still thinking about that approach shot on the sixth. That's just the tension not being where you want it to be. So we get in there and we start to train attention. And there's lots of ways to train attention from a contemplative perspective. But one of the foundational ways is to use anchors, right? Like the sensation of breathing or sensations in the body. And we use these present moment anchors as something that we can train the mind to steady onto. And then pretty quickly, mind wanders off. No problem, right? That's the biggest myth and misconception, I think, of mindfulness and meditation is that somehow folks think they're supposed to empty their mind or blank their mind. Right. Not possible. Right. Mind wanders off, no problem. You choose to bring it back. And then eventually we're kind of, you know, through neuroplasticity, we're literally rewiring the brain to have that capacity of mindfulness, that capacity of meta-awareness, inside of which we can regulate attention to be where we want it to be. So that once the mind has a little bit of stability, then one, that more stable, concentrated mind goes into film, goes into strength and conditioning, goes into practice. You know, these are student athletes, but it goes into class they're going to be more effective at all of those things. They just have a better mechanism that they're taking into those moments. And then it creates a foundation upon which, you know, we can train for other qualities like, you know, a deeper sense of connection with oneself and with others, mm -hmm. like a deeper sense of purpose. Uh, but I think that quality of training the skill of attention uh, is a really powerful place to start. Yeah, it's the yeah, foundation of so much. Yeah, that's where Vipassana starts. Like when I do that, mm -hmm. that 10 day, you know, the first 30 hours, three days is Samadhi. You're practicing Samadhi, which is mental mastery. And the whole time, all you're doing is just paying attention as best you can for one hour each meditation, just the sensation of the breath in your nose. That's it. You just focus, 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 focus again, come back again, come back again, come back again. And it's like it can get really maddening in there just doing that focus. But I mean, I know that I think it does help me, helps me with the show. It just helps me wherever I am. And, and it just adds a level of uh, comfort and confidence that that's just like, there's something about being aware and being present uh, and, and just kind of taking things as, in as they come, as they kind of flow in you or around you, through you inside and out, that it's just like, this is the way things are supposed to be. And, and, uh, you know, I have a question because I can get really, you know, I get very emotional as well. And what are some of the things that you would tell your athlete, like say an athlete like drops the game wing pass, you know, and he's been working with you and he's been meditating, uh, you know, or, or, or she they, they're meditating with you, you know, like how do you deal with those situations that, that maybe you have uh, uh, athletes that are, are have a very strong emotional life um, and, and can really beat themselves down? Like what, how do you work in that way with, with these practices? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, really interesting. So, I mean, so one of the frameworks that I use in, in the work that I'm doing here is, you know, for anybody who's interested in being at their best, I think there's four areas that they need to get really concerned with. So one is behaviors, uh, another is emotions, another is senses, and another is thoughts. And kind of if, if I were to, you know, draw a diagram of those behaviors, it would be at the top, but that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Right. So the behavior is, you know, like you missed the you know, putt to win the championship or the you know, game winning <laughs> touchdown or whatever. Right. You know, like that's the behavior. But then below that, there's all this other stuff that's happening. Right. So with something like emotions, the only skillful way to work with emotions is to experience them. We can't mm -hmm. think our way through emotions. We can't fix our way through emotions. We can't solve our way through emotions. We experience emotions and we experience emotions in the body. So we need to experience that. Like, is there, is, is that a situation in this, you know, um, hypothesis or this hypothetical of where somebody would feel angry, sad, frustrated, disappointed? Yes, that's a totally normal human response there. So that person needs to experience that. But pretty quickly, what's gonna happen, I would guess for a lot of folks, is we get kind of out of the emotional realm when we get into the thought realm, right? Where all these like thought patterns start to come in that are like beating oneself up, right? That are, you know, negative, you know, belief patterns about oneself. And do we want to learn from those mistakes? Absolutely, right? We want to see them clearly. But those patterns can just kind of get ingrained, you know, in the words of Sharon Salzberg, these just become like add-ons to the experience. 
that are no longer true or like in the contemplative metaphors, you know, like there's the first arrow and the second arrow. The first arrow is you miss the putt. The second, third, 15th arrow <laughs> are like, I can't believe I fucking missed the putt. Like I'm a terrible yeah. person, all that stuff. Yeah, and the most happens. painful ones. <laughs> They're super painful, right? So we can learn to identify those and unhook from those, right? And then mm -hmm. kind of we can metabolize the emotional difficulty of it. Like that's no problem, right? And if we learn to metabolize that in skillful ways, then that's how it kind of turns into that fuel to be able to move it forward. Like no, you know, nobody's like inherently bad because they didn't do something well athletically, right? We just have to have the skills to be able to work with kind of the thoughts and emotions that happen in response to that so that we can skillfully move forward, you know, after the event. So we, we've talked, you know, quite a bit about emotions there, right? But the, the kind of the topic of the episode is how mindfulness can enhance your athletic performance. What do you say to someone who says, well, using mindfulness and or meditation to enhance your performance is a misuse mm -hmm. of these practices? What, what's your uh, what's your mm -hmm. answer to that? Um, so seven or eight years ago, I would have been that person. Yeah. Uh, I did think that was a misuse of these practices. You know, these practices were intended to, uh, you know, see clearly the causes of suffering and reduce the causes of suffering. That's what they're about. Um, and clearly I've had a change of that over time. So a couple of the ways that I think about it now is, uh, with the meditation training that, that we're doing here is we're training the mind for performance and well-being, kind of as we've talked about before. And these two things are kind of deeply intertwined. Uh, also, performance, one way to the ways that I kind of think about performance, performance is just like how we show up in the world. It's what we do in the world. And, you know, one of the contemplative frameworks that existed for thousands of years is view meditation conduct, right? So we have to have like, you know, right view, we have to have right meditation, and we have to have right conduct. So conduct is just how you live in the world. It's your performance in the world. It's how I show up to meetings. It's how I show up with my kid. It's how I you know, interact with people when I'm walking down the street. And I meditate so that I can have like skillful ways of doing that. And I need to have kind of the right view or the right framework uh, so that I'm doing this so that it's in you know, my best interest and in the best interest of those around me. Uh, it's kind of supporting their performance. It's supporting their well-being. It's supporting them to flourish. So I think there's, you know, like the classic, you know, counterexample to some of this stuff is, you know, you're just like training better sharpshooters. Um, and that's not what I'm interested in doing. When I first joined the athletic department, I said, if you want somebody around here who's just going to help these people be better performers, I'm not your guy. Hmm. I'm interested in training full people to be at their absolute best. Some of them happen to be elite volleyball players, elite golfers, you know, elite swimmers. Uh, that just that's the behaviors that they're engaged in right now. And the doorway in for them may be more on performance, but then they get in there and they start to develop skills to work with emotions, work with thoughts, work with what's happening in their body. And those skills are generative and can start to show up for them across all domains and across the rest of their life. So I think it's, you know, just an opportunity to meet people where they're at in a way that allows them to benefit from the practices now, and then they can continue to benefit them as their, you know, kind of life unfolds and evolves in all sorts of ways, you know, down the road. For sure. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's additive, right? It's not one or the other. Uh, the, the performance enhancement comes to me, uh, the way that I see it is that's, that's a side benefit. You get all these other benefits mm -hmm. and performance enhancement is just an additional benefit. Uh, but it is mm -hmm. it is a big one. Um, so and I love the way that you phrase that, man. Awesome. Well, I, I think we got just a few more minutes. Will I'll turn it yeah, over? I got. Yeah, I would want one last question. This is it. So, what would you say to anybody who's listening that has only dabbled or has never tried meditation before? This is. Uh, what would you what would you say to them, Chad? Give it a shot. See what happens. The mm -hmm. like the well, I'm convinced that like the magic ingredient in mindfulness and meditation is curiosity. Uh, we don't know what's going to, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, in this conversation, we don't know what's going to happen in these next coming moments, but we can show up and start to investigate with a sense of curiosity. Uh, and I think that is the way to kind of move forward one to be like a happy, healthy human, but absolutely in a meditation practice, just get in there do a couple minutes, see what happens, see what you notice. Are, do you feel a little more concentrated? Do you feel a little more connected? Do you feel a little more purposeful? 
great. Well, there's your data, right? That allows you to kind of take the next wise step. Or maybe you get in there and you realize like there's some other stuff that you need to tend to, right? Like meditation and mindfulness isn't the answer to all of life's woes. It's not, you know, a panacea for everything, you know, like maybe there's other parts of one's life that like they start to meditate and they're like, you know what? I actually need to just maybe like do some more exercise, right? Or I need to do, you know, like sort some things out with some family members, right? Like mindfulness isn't the response to every problem. It's not going to get rid of everything, but it's a tool by which people I think can see what's happening in their lives more clearly. And then once we see more clearly, we can respond more wisely. Awesome. That's a great way to finish. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, Well, for uh, for our listeners, our audience, uh, we're actually going to have the surprise uh, for our guest. He, he's going to run us through that closing practice here in a minute. But before we do that, Chad, for our listeners, if someone wanted to get a hold of you or find out more about Inner Edge, what's the best way for them to find all that out? Absolutely, yeah. Folks can connect with me on whatever social media platform you know they they want. Um, and you know, if you want to connect via Inner Edge, InnerEdgeMeditation.com. Uh, if you want to connect, you know, with the athletic department, you know, you can just Google find, you know, like there's a bunch of stuff on the athletic department website and always looking to grow this work in skillful ways. So look forward to those opportunities. Right on, right on. Well, Excellent. that said, I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to you to run us through this uh, closing practice, my friend. Sure. So, uh, so what's kind of occurring in me is a practice uh, that I just did a couple times this week with a few different teams. And this kind of builds off something we were talking about earlier. So before we do the practice, I'll just say a couple things about it. So, um, you know, after mindfulness, what happens? After we build some attention, what happens? Well, one of the skills that we can train is the skill of appreciation. And appreciation in the way we're using it here is noticing the good that is already there. So it's not this kind of, you know, Pollyannish, like pretending there's no problems. Uh, mindfulness sees any difficulties that are happening clearly, but humans also have this negativity bias where they're hardwired to scan for the bad, you know, scan for challenges. And if that goes unchecked, then we know with neuroplasticity that over time we should expect folks to notice the bad more often. Uh, And the result of that should be people getting more fearful and, you know, more cynical over time. But we balance that with intentionally training the mind to notice the good. So that can be noticing the good in one's performance, that can be noticing the good in oneself, that can be noticing the good in one in others, so that as we orient in the world, we're, you know, noticing, we're seeing clearly what's happening, and some of that is, you know, noticing the good that is already there. So that's kind of the backdrop for the why I wanted to do this practice, and the, the simplest version of this practice is I invite anybody who's listening to just reflect and notice one good thing that's happened recently. It can be anything, small things. You took the time to listen to this podcast. You are making the effort right now in this practice. Maybe it's something from earlier today. Maybe you had, you know, a good cup of coffee or, you know, saw something funny on the internet. And as your attention is noticing some of these good things, make sure you're tracking in your body what it feels like. Just reflecting on some of the good things that are happening recently in your life and savoring, noticing the felt sense of what that feels like in your body as you bring attention to these good things. And then you can let go of any effort with that practice. And then maybe think, when is a time in your life that you could drop in this one good thing? driving home from work, you know, headed to the gym, you know, finishing up practice in the middle of a workout, just pausing for just a brief moment, noticing something good, feeling it in your body and moving on. That's what I got, guys. Awesome. That's, uh, thank you, Chad. I had uh... I'll just tell you really briefly and we'll close like we're done. Uh, yeah, I, I taught outside yesterday on the waterfront in New York and my friends came down um, with their kids. And actually, my buddy's brother came down. He played live music on the waterfront uh, in New York, which is amazing. I had like 10 or 12 students there, which was great. But then my friends brought their uh, two kids down. who They're like two years old. 
and they're like running through the class and and like i've known them since they're like zero so it was just so much fun to mm. uh you know to have that entire experience to be teaching yoga to listen to this amazing live music and the handpan and have all these kids and the joy and and uh you know and i'll bring you know i've been feeling that all day all day today and thank you for reminding me more of that and, and bringing more of that to everything i'm doing and uh chad i can't thank you enough for your time your wisdom you know sharing all this with us today and and, and also spreading more meditation in in the world and, and to places that uh that we don't think it fits but uh quite well but it, it does and 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 like i said earlier we're all kind of on the forefront of, of bringing this these practices to more and more people and um uh, to more and more places and I, I just overall i feel this is going to just start to seemingly or like get a, rid of some of the absolute chaos that seems to be going on in the world mm -hmm. right now and and uh thank you so much for chad uh, chad anything anything else before we go yeah um, i mean i just i mean th thank you for the opportunity to join and also i mean i think to to both of you i mean for uh every you know your practice leading up to this point and doing this work to kind of share the benefits of this in the world so that you know, hopefully the wake that is behind us is a little less turbulent and a little more equanimous uh, than it was before we showed up. Amen. Word. Amen. Thank you so much, Chad. And for our audience, make sure you uh, sign up for that retreat. That is mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash retreat or buy our stuff. Dang it. <laughs> mentalkingmindfulness.com forward slash merch. And until next time, take care and peace. Peace, guys. Thank you, Chad. Joining us today, we hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you on your life journey. New episodes are being published every week, so please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.